Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, November 4th, 2019, and you're listening to another episode of the DC United podcast. My name is Michael Cohen, and I'm the Senior Director of Content and Strategy for DC United. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DCUnited.com. And if you're listening on our website, we encourage you to check out the Inside the Black and Red tab located under the News section for links to all archived episodes of this podcast, as well as our end-of-season positional breakdowns, behind-the-scenes stories, and everything else you need to stay up-to-date on the black and red and last but not least if you happen to be listening on apple podcasts we encourage you to leave a star rating leave a review and let us know what you like what you dislike and what you might want to hear on future episodes now as you probably guessed from the title of today's show we are continuing right along with our 20th anniversary series of the 1999 mls cup victory by dc united it was the team's third mls cup in the league's first four years of existence, and this was one that was a little bit of of exercising some demons for DC United after losing in heartbreaking fashion in MLS Cup to Chicago Fire in 1998. Today's guest on the podcast is none other than defender Eddie Pope, considered by some to be one of the best defenders in the history of MLS. Pope began his DC United career as the number two overall pick in the 1996 MLS Collegiate Draft, out of the University of North Carolina. He quickly slotted right into a starting position and basically held that spot through the 2002 season when he left D.C. United, went on to play for the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars and also Real Salt Lake. But perhaps the most impressive accomplishment of Pope's career was making 82 career appearances for the U.S. national team and playing in three separate World Cups from 1998 to 2006. So without further ado, here is a conversation with defender Eddie Pope. What do you remember about the mindset going into 99? That for the first time, you know, we, we, were, we weren't champions anymore. And so we felt like, we, you know, we wanted to get that back. And that we, um, that it just belonged to us. I mean, we won in 96, we won in 97. And, and I think in 98, the, the reason that, that that heartbreak was so tough for us was that we, we, we thought that, and we still probably think that to this day, that we were by far the best team in the league. We just happened to lose on that day. And, um, and, and we felt like that team was better than the 96 and the 97 team, um, and maybe even the 99 team. But, um, so we were just you know, looking at each other and just saying, well, we're not champions anymore, so we have to go back and win this thing. Um, so that, that was our mindset, I think, going into the season. What was it like going through a coaching change, given that, for the most part in sports, teams don't go through coaching changes when they're as successful as you guys were, but it was obviously a unique situation with Bruce going to the national team. So what was that like switching from Bruce to Thomas? It was hard. I mean, you know, if you have a coach, everything's worked perfectly. Um, you're super comfortable with that individual. Um, everybody's happy. And then you know that you might lose them to something um, you know, quote unquote, better, right? Um, he's, he's climbing the ladder, and as much as everyone wanted him to stay, we, we knew that it wasn't an argument that we had to let him go, especially with where you know U.S. soccer was at the time, or not really U.S. soccer, but especially where soccer was at the time in the U.S. Um, you know, we just needed to, to continue to grow and expand and do better, and um, and Bruce was right for that spot. 
Um, you know, for me, that's certainly not a, a slight to Steve Sampson at all because um, you know, I, I thought he did a fantastic job and was a fantastic coach and getting in the program to where it even was. I mean, we, especially with the, the fantastic victory that we had against Brazil. Um, so it was hard because now it was like, gosh, we've lost the individual who's, um, who's sort of helped guide us to the mountaintop. And now all of a sudden he's just gone. And so how would you describe what Thomas was like coming in and, and sort of what his style was if you had to compare and contrast to the way he led a team versus the way Bruce led a team? I think Thomas was brilliant. And, um, you know, uh, it just it, he got it right from the beginning. And I think there are a lot of coaches that would have come in and they would have said, hey, we're going to do this thing my way. We're going to change it. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. And, and Thomas was... Um, you know, Thomas is a super, super intelligent guy, extremely smart, um, borderline genius. And, and it just comes in. And the first thing he says is, you know, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. All I'm going to do is continue to steer the ship in the right direction. Um, and, and he and I think the temptation to kind of come in for certain individuals to put their thumbprint on it and start kind of pulling things out of whack would, would have been great. Right. Because you, you would maybe want to say. That, hey, I don't want this to be Bruce's championship. I want it to be mine. Right. Um, I think for Thomas, he was, he, again, he made the right decision in saying things look great. Things are going in the right place, um, going in the right way. We've been in the championship 96, 97, 98. Um, you know, I'm just going to continue to move um, down the road here. And so I, I think. I think we would have been in big trouble had we gotten anybody else but Thomas. So I'm not sure if you remember specifically the start of that season, but you guys began by winning 11 of your first 14. And when you start out hot like that and you guys already knew the type of talent that you had and what the ultimate end goal was of trying to reach and win MLS Cup, as the season goes along, did it just feel like you know business as usual for a team that, that had such high expectations? Yes, because I think we were worried a little bit in the beginning that, it, it, you know, it, it's like any kind of a change, right? It was just different than it was before with a new coach. You know, we were just worried that it wouldn't be the same. Right. And and Thomas did, a, again, he just did such a great job at making it the same. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, he coached and um and, and he did all the things that a, a, a head coach would do. He, you know, he wasn't sitting back letting us run the show. Um, he was still, a, you know, the good coach that he's always been, that he'd always been. But he was just smart enough to coach and push things in the direction that they were already going. Um, and so once we started winning game after game after game, start, I think everybody, there was a sigh of relief. And uh, probably for, for, for Thomas as well. And... Um, and we and we just felt like we were rolling. And yeah, I would say, you start looking at the beginning of the season. Our expectations are at that point are one hundred percent to be in the finals. So you know, one of the things that Thomas told me that I found really interesting is that if you if he were to choose some of his favorite memories from that ninety nine season, he said a lot of them would be things that fans never saw and he said in particular the 5v5 games in practice where you had you know probably one of the best if not the best back lines in MLS which obviously you were part of against you know a front four front five that had as much talent as any team in the league and, and probably teams in other leagues as well what do you remember about what practice was like and the type of intensity that you guys created 
Yeah, I think, you know, in regards to Thomas and, and just his coaching, I mean, his training sessions, you know, were, were they were set up perfectly for the individuals that we had. Um, you know, I, I think there could have been a tendency that you look at it and you say, a lot of good players, you know, probably some great players here. Um, you know, I'm just going to let this thing run itself. Um, but I think his sessions always got the best out of us. And, you know, what we were, where we were fortunate was that by having such fantastic strikers in Roy and, um, and, and, um, and in Jaime, right? And then, you know, so now, you know, I, I'm going up against probably, or probably I would say the best two strikers in the league um, every day. Um, they're going up against tough defenders, and then you have Marco, you know, in the middle kind of running the show, um, you know, and, and others. You have Richie Williams, and I could go, the list goes on and on. Um, it, it just made everybody better every single day. And, um, and Thomas was able to just create an environment that, that sharpened everyone. And, um, you know, with, with having, uh, it, to me, the best thing was in having Roy and Jaime, it, it, was, it was as if, I should say as if, I mean, I feel like they were competing. And, you know, one scores, and then the next one feels like he has to score. And then, the, you know, the other one scores, and the next one feels like he has to score. One has a fantastic game, and on the next game, the other one is, is um, you know, super amped up to have a good game. And, you know, we would just, I mean, I could just sit back in the back and just watch and, um, and almost just smile and watch the other defenders struggle against them because I knew what it was like in training. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Thomas is right. Those 5v5 games, the drills, the possession games, um, you know, one team has the ball and you almost have to stop the possession game, grab the ball and give it to the other team because it was almost <laughs> impossible to win back. It's like, you know, and everybody's, you know, but their tongues are wagging out of their mouths. I mean, it, the possession games were that good. Um, and, I, and I, you know, recently I went back and watched the game um, and then I think it might have been against like Metro Stars and now obviously now the Red Bulls and just watching the, how we kept the ball to possession. I mean, we would have fit in um, into today's you know, style of play even today. What did you think was your role on the team at the time from a leadership standpoint? A couple of your teammates said that you weren't a guy that spoke up often, but when you did, you had full attention in the room because of the status that you had as a national team player and also just the ability that you had you know, within D.C. United as well. So did you think that, that you took it upon yourself to speak up at certain times, or was that a role that you liked or didn't like? What did you think at the time? Um, yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, you know, your personality is your personality. And I think, you know, you, you obviously get yourself in trouble when you start to, to get outside of that. And I, I wasn't, you know, I'm not somebody that, um, you know, especially in those environments who's constantly talking. Um, it's, it's just not, um, it's just not who I am. And um, so, you know, if I felt like things were going in the wrong direction, Maybe I would have a quiet word with a, you know, a couple of teammates, maybe the coach. And, and, and they were good about saying, you know, you need to say something. Um, and, and I think at those moments I, I would say something and I did say something, you know, and I think those guys did respect that just simply because I wasn't always talking. Um, and so, and, and, but my goal was certainly to lead by example, um, to play well on the national team. Um, you know, I felt like every time I came back to the national team, part of my job was to um, was to, to was to be better than, than when I left, um, 
and, and then, you know, to, to ask that out of my teammates. And I think, it, you know, it was sort of a common thing, I think, with everyone to gently ask that out of each other um, to be better at, at all times, no matter what you were doing. Um, you know, the one thing, again, I, that I do remember saying about that year was that, you know, again, that we weren't the champions anymore. I think we, even though we lost in 98, we felt like we were champions because we won other things. Right. And, um, and it was just sort of the, one of the things I do remember saying was that hey, everybody, let's not forget, we aren't the champions anymore. So I know we kind of forget that, but we aren't the champs. So we, it's now it's time for us to go back and get it. Was it a unique experience to have so many national team players on one club team? I mean, you look around the league now in MLS and you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that has, you know, maybe more than two national team players, if that. But you guys had three, four, five, six, you know, sometimes seven with guys being through the youth teams as well. What was that like? Yeah, I, I, and I, I can't remember whether it was nine, 98 or 99, but so I may have this wrong. But I, I know I remember there was a game that we played where we had 11, we had a full national team on the field. <laughs> and I think it was Scott, Scott, he was in the goal, had been in the camp. So we, we, you know, I remember we counted that. We were like, he's been in the camp, he's in the pool. Um, but we had like 10 sort of active, and then Scott, we had 11. I can't remember that whether that was 98 or 99. But yes, we had that. And I think for us, that's why our training sessions were, 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 were so good. And, um, and, you know, and I, one of the things I think we all felt was that sometimes our practices were harder than the games. And, and I think that, you know, if we, at the end, we were, we were scrimmaging and we were playing. We felt like that, um, that game at times was harder than, um, than our games on the weekend. And for me, it was because I've got Jaime and I've got Roy running down the field at me. Um, and maybe I didn't have that on, on the weekend. Um, and I think we, we, we were happy that we were able to create that environment um, over and over again. Um, and I think that was special. I don't think a lot of teams at that time had that. Um, but, you know, your training sessions, your your practices, your scrimmages at the end of practices um, are much harder than what you were going to face on the weekend. For the back line that you were part of that year, it was you, it was uh, Jeff Agus, it was Jeff Onger, Kerry uh, Talley was in there at times, Carlos Yamosa. What worked well with that back line in terms of the chemistry that you guys had? Because you finished with the best defensive record in D.C. United's uh, brief history to that point. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the thing was just knowing each other so well. Um, you know, and, and having someone like our younger guys, for example, like a Kerry Talley, um, who, who I played with at Carolina, so I knew well. Um, Carlson, you know, we'd been together for a long time. Um, we knew each other and were very comfortable. Um, you know, you know, Agus, you know, Under came in and did a great job also. Um, just really being comfortable with each other. And I think more than anything else, um, our personalities meshed well. Um, and, and, and it, you know, probably one of the biggest reasons we did well was that Carlos Yamosa was, was, was sort of this unsung, um, no one really paid a ton of attention to. Um, he was one of those guys um, who just kind of flew under the radar. Okay. But was 100% one of the best defenders I've ever played beside. 1v1, not a fast guy, got every angle right. Um, timing was impeccable. Um, 
to this day, easily one of the best defenders I've ever played with. And just it just kind of went unnoticed. And it's, it's why we were so good. I mean, people just didn't, you know, coming from, uh, you know, Columbia and, you know, okay, he's not a part of that national team necessarily. He's now a part of the, of the U.S. national team. I mean, it, it just was kind of a weird fit for him. Um, but again, at the end of the day, just, you know, so very good. At times when I'm expecting I'm going to have to cover him, and I just don't. And I'm just watching him defend and, and smiling. I'm a very, very good player. The one player I forgot to mention in that back line would be Diego Senora, and he was one of the yeah. rare guys that was brought into that group, you know, amongst a nucleus that stayed pretty steady. It ended up being his only season with the club, but he started 27 games that year. Um, yeah. You know, again, not a team with a lot of turnover, but to bring in somebody like that that could come in and start 27 games, I assume that that was a pretty valuable piece for you guys. Yeah, and I always say, like, you know, for, for teams that win championships, you, you almost always need a surprise something that like you didn't expect to happen and it, and it went really well and I always say with some of our other seasons one of them was Jaime like we, we didn't start with him in 96 and he shows up and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> like, how do we, we luck out and get him um, and then another one was Tony Sana um, it just you know who obviously even ended up going to Germany and becoming a fantastic player there and having a, a, an amazing 2002 World Cup um, he was another one and I think, you know, Diego was one, um, Sonora was one who came from Argentina, and people just didn't realize the magnitude of the games he had played in. I mean, he played in Boca River games that were, you know, 90,000 people. Right. Um, I mean, just incredible amounts of pressure um, in, in, in Argentina and came here. And so this wasn't that big of a deal to him. I mean, he was used to it. So, yeah, the professionalism that he had um, and the quality of a player that he was was just one of those surprises that we got. And, you know, again, his just his experience in the game. I mean, he came in and didn't miss a beat and rarely made mistakes. Very good player. So, you know, when I started asking some of your teammates about the playoff run that year, pretty much nobody remembers the first-round series against Miami other than that it was a first-round sweep because everybody then remembers the Columbus series, the Eastern Conference Finals that, you know, goes three games. You win game one, you kind of get blasted 5-1 to in game two, and then you come back home to RFK and you end up winning comfortably 4 nothing. What do you remember about that series and and what it was like in, you know, that, that transition period from game two to game three? Um, I, well, what I remember is, you know, the game that we got uh, sort of blasted in Columbus, you know, Columbus played on a field um, that was very narrow, wasn't very big, and was kind of built for them. And, um, you know, for for example, I mean, they had this whole sort of thing when the ball goes out of bounds, goes out of bounds, the ball boy's throwing it to their player as soon as he can, and they're throwing it all the way down the field, and they're in behind you. And it was a whole, like, show um, that, that they had for their field, and, um, and we just felt victim to it. That's, you know, we didn't have, you know, great performances in the back, um, including myself. And I think we were just so frustrated, I think, at our, our performance in that second game that, um, you know, when we came home, we were, we were so comfortable at home that... Um, we, we, we just we just felt like we were going to win. Like there was no way we were going to lose this game. And I think one of the, the the best things that we did, and I, I give Kevin Payne, 
who was the GM at the time, a lot of credit for this. You know, we're we're kind of in, we're kind of in the locker room, and everybody's hanging out, and you know, we're, we're you know six, fifteen, twenty minutes from going out, and um, and Kevin Payne put together a um, a highlight reel of from '96 on, and we everyone just sat there and, and watched it. And that's what we watched right before we went out on the field. I mean, it was such a perfect sort of like, you know, um, I don't want to say mind game, but more of like just um, just mentally. I think he was smart in doing that to sort of remind us of how successful we had been, where we had been, the things we had done. And it gave us that, that, that in- invincible feeling again. And so we watched that highlight reel right, right before we went out got everyone super pumped everybody screaming yelling we went in the tunnel um and the performances that day were were amazing um from the back all the way up i think that's i'm I'm not mistaken i think it's the game where last did a bicycle in that's correct Um, and marco scored on a free kick and marco scored on a free kick i mean it was just and and it, it was one of the games that i remember after that video marco's reaction it was the most pumped I'd seen him ever. He was super hyped, and and we don't we didn't typically see him like that, um, you know, in, in a positive way rather. And um, and he was just super pumped, and I think it just lifted everyone else. Yeah, Kerry Talley told me a great story about that game. He said that when Marco scored on the free kick, Marco told him to stand on one side of the ball because he was left footed and, and Marco was was right footed. Or did I mix that up? Was it the other way around? No, you're right. Okay. Mar- Marco's left footed. Yeah, okay. So Marco being left footed, he told Kerry to stand on the right. And Kerry said, you know, I think everybody in the stadium knew that there was a 0.0% chance that I was going to hit that ball. But Marco told me to stand there. And he said, I'm glad he did because it gave me a perfect view of that free kick goal because I could just see it go directly into that, that upper 90. Um, but the question I wanted to ask you is, I don't know if you want to confirm or deny this, but Thomas said that after game two in Columbus, after that loss, he said, I, I remember this vividly, he said, Eddie Pope spoke up in the locker room and said something to the effect of, over the over my dead body, is Columbus going to beat us in game three when we go back to RFK? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, he's right. I mean, I, I, the probably by language is probably worse than that, but yes, um, <laughs> No, I, I was, I mean, for me, I, I was just, you know, I think we were just so disappointed in ourselves. I, I individually was disappointed just in, in our, maybe our overall game as a team, as my, my performance individually. And then I would say that I'm sure everyone, we were all perfectionists, and I think other guys were disappointed in their performances. I mean, as a group, we were just like, this is, you know, this is crazy. This is not who we are. Right. And, I, and, and you know, the other thing was just the way that, if I remember correctly, Columbus won the game. Um, you know, they were very proud and, ha- you know, it, and they should have been because they were very, very good on that day. Um, and I think that irked us as well. And then for me, it was just like, I cannot wait to get to this next game. Um, because, and, and, you know, I think what's the other thing that is probably, probably makes more sense to mention as well is, you know, they were pretty much, they were... New York was our rival, but so was Columbus. Okay. We had some really tough games against them. Um, and, you know, and so I think they probably felt that way too, that, um, you know, it was kind of like that game. We knew we were getting great opponents. And you're talking about Brian McBride, who went in and for all intents and purposes, manhandled the EPL, right? And so it's like these are, they were great players as well. And this was the team we really wanted to beat and they really wanted to beat us so it was kind of like you know we're not going home and getting beat at home 
at home, no chance is that happening. So yeah, he's 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 right. Yeah, yeah I believe that was uh, the game where Stern John was juggling to run out the clock uh, yeah. in a yeah, in a five one victory. Um, there you go. So, I wouldn't be nice about it. But yeah, nice about I got it, right? you. I got you. Um, okay, so going forward to to MLS Cup that year, it's a place you guys were comfortable. You'd been there many times before. Um, you know, it was a situation where pretty much everybody on the roster had experience, and so it wasn't a type of thing where nerves would be a huge factor. But feeling like you were on the precipice of reaching pretty much the only goal that you guys had set for yourself that season. Was there any sort of nerves or anxiousness knowing that if that game had gone south, you know, basically everything you had had done the entire season would have would have fallen short for the second straight year? You know, I, I, I think, well, definitely there were nerves. I mean, I, I don't, I think actually, I don't know. You didn't have, you'd have certainly have ice in your veins if you didn't have nerves. Um, I, for me, whenever I played in, in, in championships, I mean, I always felt so so lucky and fortunate to be in those championship games. And it could be could have been an MLS Cup, an Open Cup championship, a Concacaf championship, an American Cup championship. Any of those, I always felt like, oh my, this is like these are once in a lifetime opportunities. And obviously, with MLS, ended up being a few more, but it was just like these are. He's rarely come along. And my mentality was was always that there's no way I'm losing this game. That's just that's always what came through my mind is that as I'm walking out on the field, I was and I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm not losing this game. I, I don't know. I'm not losing this game for sure. And that's kind of how I, I always looked at it. Um, maybe some of it is is you know yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't really to psych myself out. It was just a sort of the statement that I, I felt like I had in my brain was that I'm going to do everything I have to do to make sure we, we win this game. And, and I think for me, it's it, I think it's definitely why. And you know, I scored in MLS Cup um, the same year I scored in the Open Cup. You know, I, I scored in Concacaf. I scored in the Inter American Cup. It, it, it was for me it was a mentality that I cannot bear losing this game and de- dealing with the way that feels. Uh, it was for me it was. It was just better, you know, obviously it was better to just try to leave it all in on the field than have to deal with losing afterwards. I couldn't bear the feeling of of what it felt like afterwards. And I'm sure other guys probably felt the same way. So Um, what went through your mind then in the 19th minute when Jaime pokes that ball in and you take a 1-0 lead? To me at that point, I was just like, I'm just trying to figure out, well, I'd say when he scored, um, ball was kind of like flying around, floating around. At that point, I was like, we, you know, we, you know, I can't remember where that I said. I know I was used to saying this a lot, but or they would say it to me. Jaime and Rory would say, all right, lock it down in the back, right? And so it, it, whether they said it or had it in my head, I was just thinking, you know, we will ride this thing out. We got more than what we need to win. We have a goal. We have what, what's required to win a game. And now it's our job to lock it down in the back. And that's what went through my head was, you know, shut out, no goals. Let's hope we get another. And then how about when Ben scored his? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, say, I would say when Ben scored his, I, to me, I was like, again, no chance they're still scoring two on us. Right. That's not happening today. Um, and, um, and then I felt bad for Kevin Hart. You know, really good goalkeeper. I mean, and, you know, you throw these things within the game. Most people would probably say, you know, who cares? But, it's a tough, you know, tough mistake to make in such a big game. I certainly felt for him, um, 
but obviously happy for us. Um, uh, but but that you know they're they're not. I mean, even if I had to kill somebody, they're not scoring two goals. Right. <laughs> um, that's not happening on that game. We again we start zero zero. We've got one, and now we have the second. There's just no chance that they're coming back from that. No, no chance. And you know, and and I would say obviously what what helped helped us in a big way was Robin Fraser's injury. Yeah. Um, Heck of a player, was, too. I mean, that game would not have gone the way that it went if he hadn't had that unfortunate um, um, injury. And, um, yeah, fantastic player. You know, obviously now is, is, is a fantastic coach. Um, again, you know, you feel for someone when that happens to them in a big game, um, especially such a, a, a um, serious injury. Um, you know, just like at that time, the, the competition, the competitiveness um, sort of takes a backseat that you hope they're okay, but you really feel for them that they didn't have the opportunity to finish out that, that game. So. so what does it feel like when, when the final whistle sounds and you win? You know, obviously you'd hoisted the MLS Cup before. You've, you've played in, you know, World Cups and at very, very high levels for the national team. But w- what did it feel like to, to kind of come back from, you know, chasing that demon in 98, if you will, and then achieving everything you guys wanted to the following year? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just, you know, that mission accomplished feeling. It had been so long um, since we lost, the, you know, the finals in the finals year before. Um, we'll still argue. I, I'll argue with, with Bob Bradley all the time that that goal is offsides. Um, <laughs> I haven't even looked at it lately, recently, but I just know I, sometimes I'm just teasing him. But, um, um, we, we, you know, we, just to lose that way, right? Um, and uh, it had been such a long road. I think for us, and that one was, um, you know, it feels, you know, redemption, all those things. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was a surreal feeling, but you know, it was one that we felt like we deserved even before the season started. It was ours to lose, and um, so again, to to sometimes I think all, you know every team sets out that they're going to win MLS Cup, and that's your goal, and you set it. And sometimes you believe it, sometimes you don't. We believed it 100%. We felt like it was ours to lose. And um, so I think to be able to, the season's so long, and to be able to do that from day one all the way to the end um, was unbelievably gratifying. And, and I guess the last question I have for you is this. To be able to you know, bring the cup back to D.C. and sort of reward the fans for what they had given you that season and also in the years prior, um, you know, maybe I should have asked you earlier, but with the crowds you guys had at RFK and, and just sort of the you know, supporters groups and the black hole and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, did it feel nice to be able to give something back to them in, in that way at the end of the season? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, when we lost in 98, I mean, that's – you know, we had the most unique fan base, um, you know, in the league. And so for us, we, you know, when we lost in 98, we felt like we let the fan base down. Um, you know, we, we again, we, we had fans that showed up, that participated, that loved the team, that loved the sport, and um, and were always there. And you, you, you'd go to some other markets, and, you know, there's nobody, nobody in the stands. And um, so we felt like from especially the Screaming Eagles, Barra Brava, um, we, we, I mean, we were just crushed that you know, we went out there and, um, and, and didn't bring it back. Um, so for us, you know, we always felt like we had a, a special relationship with our fans. 
and um, and and so it, it was unbelievable to be able to bring that back to them. And so, you know, it, again, as we were sort of struggling through that year from the loss all the way to the championship and really wanting to get it, certainly a lot of that was we need to bring it home uh, for our fans. And um, so, you know, we felt like, hey, when we lose, they lose. Um, and, but when we win, they win. So, yeah, that, that was super important to us. And um, it hit us hard. I mean, again, we... we Part of the losses that you, that you have, um, especially in championships, um, you, you, you're sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, the fans. And, um, and, and that hurts, too. So, yeah, it, it was part of what lifted us. Um, and then, you know, if you look at, for example, 97, I actually have a, a, you know, our team picture, but if you look at 97, the fans that are in the sands, you know, poor Colorado. It's like, where do we, where do we show up to? Right. You know, you know, they're thinking that it's going to look like where they play. And, um, you know, those are things that as players, you just don't forget. And that was a huge part of coming back home from game two to three against Columbus. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't remember exactly what was said, but I know that I did some radio show, some, some media, maybe it was just a post-practice media and I was like, I, we're expecting everybody to be there. <laughs> we're like, this has to be a big-time home game for us. And we want everybody there, loud, proud. Um, and we, we, we felt like we needed them to be Columbus. So there you have it, a conversation with defender Eddie Pope reliving the 1999 season. That was a lot of fun and, and one of my favorite conversations we've had so far. It was really cool to hear some of the unique anecdotes Eddie had about that highlight tape put together by Kevin Payne and, and some of the other 5v5 possession games that they had in practice. Just a lot of cool nuggets that you wouldn't ordinarily hear. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that and hopefully you're enjoying the series. We'll continue pushing through toward the actual 20th anniversary of the 99 MLS Cup, which was, of course, November 21st of that year. We hope that you enjoy and continue to listen throughout the next couple of weeks. And be sure to check out everything we've got for you on DCUnited.com. We have a positional series right now, breaking down the black and red group by group, player by player, based on advanced statistics and everything else you need to know to stay up to date on your favorite MLS team. So until the next episode of this podcast, we hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Uh-huh.